0: Al Jazeera Podcast.
1: Before we start this episode, we want to invite you to subscribe to our show. Just look for Al Jazeera's The Take on your favorite podcast app, and we'll be in your ears three times a week. Thanks.
2: We spoke to Alina in Kiev. We began to talk about life.
1: That's Krzysztof Czucholowski, a Polish journalist. He recently met with Alina Panina, a Ukrainian woman who was a prisoner of war.
2: And we talked about her dogs, the love
1: of her life. Krzysztof has been working with Al Jazeera for years, and his chat with Alina was not his first assignment in Ukraine.
2: My history of Ukraine is, is a pretty long one. I mean, I started going to Ukraine in 2001, 2002.
1: But for this assignment, there were no bombs falling, no shots fired. It was just Chris, Alina and the Al Jazeera crew sitting down in a restaurant. And yet the violence and trauma are still hard for him to shake.
2: This is still a very painful and I always feel humbled and privileged when I talk to people like that.
1: Soon after the Russian siege on the Ukrainian port city of Mariupol, Alina Panina, a Ukrainian border guard and dog trainer, was taken prisoner that was in may months later she was released and spoke with chris
2: after what she's gone through it's still going to take probably a lot of time for her to comprehend what actually happened to her
1: i'm halim mohideen and this is the take
2: It feels like the PTSD has been stabilised. She can sleep through the night again, more than a month after she's been released. But she's still having flashbacks, she's still living through what she's gone through. She's not probably ready to revisit some of those horrors.
1: When Chris met with Alina for the first time, it was a lot like getting together with any acquaintance or even a close friend.
2: Does she want her coffee, though? We agreed a restaurant where we had a quiet corner where we could talk to her. What was striking to me is that she had a brand new iPhone, that she had a brand new Apple Watch.
1: Just days ago, Alina was given a prestigious medal from the Ukrainian military.
2: And then in some of the videos that she posted on her Facebook, she was taken... ...to a hairdresser for a massage. It certainly looks like the well-being of those prisoners... ...is very much on the top of the agenda.
1: The thing is, she'd already paid a heavy price.
2: Those who went to the depths of hell are now treated with respect... ...and it appears there is willingness to compensate... ...for the horror they went through.
1: But it's not just new personal electronics and shiny medals. As Alina sat across from Chris he also noticed hints of what had happened in her recent past.
2: She was accompanied by a guy from the Border Guard unit.
1: A member of the Border Guard's press service. Chris was also told Alina was taking anti-anxiety medication and she was brought to the restaurant from what amounted to a prisoner of war rehab facility.
2: And they were undertaking a psychological treatment.
1: But how did Alina get out of prison?
2: Alina was part of a larger POW swap.
1: It's the most significant prisoner swap since the war began. Just a year ago, she was living in a small town in the western part of Ukraine, driving a bus across the Polish border for work and training her dogs.
2: But then she got a job on the border with Poland with her sniffer dog.
0: I
3: served in the border guard.
2: She had two private dogs that she took with her to the service. She's a very keen dog trainer.
1: And that was her life, training dogs, guarding the border. And then she was moved to Mariupol.
0: And at the end of 2021,
3: my fiancé and I moved to Mariupol. And I served from the port as part of the Donetsk
1: border guard. Alina and her boyfriend had a nice life for a couple of young people. Good jobs... Dogs and love. Then came February
0: 23rd. And I
3: was on duty in the port, and there was a massive shelling bombardment.
1: The strategic port city, subjected to indiscriminate attack by artillery,
2: and they were taken by surprise. They didn't know the invasion is just about to happen.
0: Russian
3: ships were approaching the port closely. You could say that they were trying to annoy us, playing with us. Ships came close, and then they sailed back repeatedly. Then, sometime after lunch, it was 1600, 4 p.m. That's when our chief of department told us we'd be moving to a factory.
2: They started to move out of the port, and they engaged in a battle, as I understand. They engaged in a battle in different facilities.
3: We were holding
1: the Mariupol defences for approximately two months. Over the course of those months, they were moving from factory to factory, using them as improvised bunkers. They tried to push against the Russian forces. Our push was not successful.
0: Naturally,
3: it was scary. We were afraid the planes above would drop some kind of bomb if we were moving.
2: And then uh, she told me that on April the 12th, her fiancé moved in a different direction with his unit.
0: He was captured.
1: She says her fiancé's unit saved her life. They saved many lives. They basically distracted the enemy. They focused
3: all of the attention on themselves.
2: And then they entered the bunkers, the Stahl steel plant. Uh, the Barrage of Tunnels, and then they were together with Azov Battalion.
1: And it wasn't just Azov. Many forces joined them in the tunnels. Why? Because Mariupol is that important, Chris says.
2: I was in Mariupol in 2014 and 2015, and it was a hotspot. And it is strategically located at the southern eastern part of Ukraine, and it is was, it was critical for the Russian military objectives. And I see this war as another chapter of a much longer history. In
1: 2014, the time Chris is talking about, Russia made its first attempt on Mariupol, having just seized the Crimean peninsula.
2: And their aspirations or ambitions were to create the corridor that links mainland Russia with Crimea. And then... Mariupol is strategically positioned just right there in the middle. So it came as no surprise to all of us that the Russians tried to capture this town very early on during the war.
1: So now Alina was there, hiding out in the Azovstal steel plant with all these other Ukrainian armed forces. They became the Russian target.
2: And for the past few days, it's been the scene of heavy fighting as Russian forces try to capture the last pocket of resistance
3: in this strategically important city. That factory was fired upon with everything they had. It was aviation, rockets launched from the sea, tanks. Later the infantry arrived.
1: What was already a bad situation got worse. The steel plant was in ruins. Alina was living underneath. The actual plant was too bombed out.
2: She was telling me initially they had two sources of water. They had drinking water and they had industrial water. Halfway through the drinkable water just came to an end. And then all they had left was this industrial leakage that was available for them to drink. She saw a lot of dead bodies, a lot of dead bodies of her work colleagues from the border guard unit. The conditions were absolutely dire.
1: But their patriotism stood strong. There's video with Alina and the others singing Ukraine's national anthem, her hand on her heart, and her dog, Sonia, tucked under her arm.
0: As the infantry was moving in,
1: it was reducing our numbers. And that's when Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky stepped in.
3: And an order from the president of Ukraine was given uh, that we have to become prisoners to save our own lives. These fighters from the Azov battalion attempted to defend the steel plant in Mariupol and prevent Russian soldiers from completely taking over the port city. But outnumbered and overpowered, Ukraine says its mission to defend the plant is over. He accepted the Geneva Convention, and according to its rules, we were taken prisoner.
2: And so Alina was one of the very first few people who came out of those dungeons into the light.
0: I was in
3: the first group. We had 30 people from the border guard and 30 people from Azov. Everybody went out in different groups. We went out to a bridge, that's where the enemies were, and they were armed and holding their position.
2: And she recalled that she felt completely powerless and then helpless. Out of a sudden, she didn't have a gun,
3: And there we were, walking out with only our personal belongings, those who had them. Some of us didn't even have that.
2: She left the bunker together with her dog, Sonia. She was freaking out, it's going to be an execution. She felt this is the end of it.
0: It was scary, because you're
3: going without the armored vest, helmet, without your weapon, you have nothing. And as you go, the enemy has its gun on you. And it's not only one enemy. There were so many of them. You don't know if you're going to be captured or they can just shoot you right there on the spot if they don't like something. It was
1: scary. There's footage of Alina walking out.
2: And we can see Alina in a red T-shirt.
1: They checked us. But not Sonia. Sonia stayed behind.
2: Her dog was taken away from her. And then she was presenting all her belongings to a Russian soldier like everybody else.
3: They put us on buses and took us to Olenevka.
1: It was one of the hardest things that had ever happened to her. But now, talking about it, she seems resigned. It was scary. It's life. What was life like serving months as a Russian prisoner of war? That's after the break.
2: I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, Al Jazeera's original docudrama series. In season five, we meet Lily Parr, one of the greatest footballers you've probably never heard of. A prolific attacker, the English player broke the norms when it came to women in football. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: After the Russian siege of Mariupol, Alina Panina, a Ukrainian border guard and dog trainer, was taken prisoner of war. Several months later, she was released as part of a prisoner swap, and she told Al Jazeera producer Krzysztof Dzichilovsky what happened when they surrendered to Russian forces.  —
0: When we entered the territory, women and men were split up. —
2: Where did the Russians take you then? —
3: The guys were in the two-story barracks without bars, with normal windows and beds with metal springs, just like in the army. The women were placed in one room, like in a jail. The room had bars in the windows and six shelves, with a wooden bed bolted to the wall. There were
1: 28 people in the room. Other accounts have it at four beds, but still 28 people in a room. Chris asked how they were able to sleep like that. How did you live
0: there?
1: Two women could sleep on a shelf at once,
3: all the rest just slept on the floor.
2: Where did you sleep? On the floor. Were you interrogated by the Russians? Yes. Were you tortured? <laughs>
3: They did lots of different things to us. They would exert psychological pressure. They would swear at us. They did other things. I cannot describe them.
2: Can you explain any more?
0: No, I can't. Uh,
2: Just generally?
3: In general terms, we had different experiences. The girls had a different experience than the men. But I don't like going into detail on this.
1: Despite Russian denials, others have claimed torture was commonplace. Chris has been a journalist for years. He's covered wars and many other traumas. But he found it difficult to hear Alina talk about her experiences and to see the very real impact her incarceration continues to have on her to this day.
2: Later after the interview, in the car, she told me that she didn't want to break down. She didn't want to come across as a crying woman, no. I mean, she felt it was important not to get teary, not to cry. She had a story to tell, but for a number of different reasons, also for security reasons, for the safety of her own boyfriend, she didn't want to reveal too much. She also felt that if she's gonna say too much, that may backfire on those who are still in captivity. So, I mean, it's a very sensitive interview. What you put on air is also very sensitive, because you can see how much this kind of an interview can have a butterfly effect on many other lives, on the lives of many other people. I mean, she's been to hell, and she's out of hell.
1: But there are things she did
0: see.
3: I was scared because you're afraid you just won't go home to the people you're closest to. You're afraid of not seeing them or hearing them. Of course I was scared. Every day in there felt like a week. I will tell you that there are humans and there are not humans. Even in captivity, some showed mercy toward you tried to help with something, bring soap, for example, or speak without aggression. And some don't treat men and women differently. They treat you equally.
0: We're not killers.
3: We were defending our land, defending our home and our people. we did not come to them. They came to us. And we were imprisoned because we stood for what is ours.
1: At the end of July, there was an explosion at that detention facility. Dozens of Ukrainian prisoners of war were killed Russia says it was caused by Ukrainian missiles. Ukraine, Alina, and satellite imagery indicate it came from inside the facility. We heard screams and dogs barking, but we didn't
3: see anything because we only had these two small windows. The next day, wounded were brought to us, into our building. The guys who were wounded in that place. And then the women tried to treat their wounds.
1: Zelensky says it was the deliberate mass murder of prisoners of war.
2: Once she told me that the most important phone call she could make from Olenivka prison was a call home. So she rang her mum just to say she was okay. She knew that the phone is up and the Russians are listening to the whole conversation. So all she had to say It's just that she's fine. And she was reassuring her mother, "I'm going to be back home? And for her, the most soothing mm, experience was calling her mother.
1: But throughout the dark days of her seven-month-long captivity, she told Chris she never lost faith. We knew that Ukraine wouldn't abandon us. Of
3: course, we also knew we had to go through that complicated period and we had to persevere. We always said, we're strong. We can do it. Our relatives are waiting for us back home. And for the sake of them, you can do this. You can face all of the challenges.
0: And we did it. And thank
3: God we were returned to Ukraine.
2: Do you remember the prisoner swap day?
3: On the 1st of October, we were taken to Russia itself, to a high-security prison.
1: Alina says they were taken on a plane, but not directly. There was stop after stop. We didn't really understand where we were going. They
3: just sat us on a truck, covered us with a tent, and drove us. And we started seeing signs like Person and Melitopol. Then we realized we were moving in the direction of Zaporizhia, into the gray area, where the prisoner swaps are done. It was amazing to see our cars when they were driving us over the bridge. You sit there, looking at our Ukrainian cars driving. Girls were crying and laughing, singing the national anthem. There was one moment when their military was standing on our right and we were passing by. All the girls were passing by, and their military couldn't even look us in the eyes. They just lowered their eyes to the ground, and that's it. It means that Ukrainian girls are stronger than their men. Girls stood through
2: it. How did you feel on that day?
3: The first thing I wanted to do is call my home, hear mom, and tell her that I'm home and in Ukraine. Just to hear my parents' voice, my relatives' voices. This is the most important thing that you have. You cherish it, and you will fight for it.
2: What happened to your fiancé?
3: He's been in prison since the 12th of April He hasn't called once He's on the list His capture was confirmed But I don't know where he is He's still
2: captured? Yes No connection with him?
3: Nothing
1: And it's not just her fiancé she's missing now
2: Her dogs were taken away by the Russians during one of the transfers. As she's learned, the dogs are now working as sniffer dogs for the Russians in Donetsk.
1: And the Russians are asking for a ransom to be paid.
2: She's currently actively pursuing an option of recovering her dogs.
1: And her plan now, she says...
0: First
3: of all, to take back all of our boys from captivity. Then to take back my dogs that were taken from me by the Russians. But I like this job. No matter what happens or what I go through, I still want to stay in the service.
2: They're going to be taken to another place, like a health spa, somewhere out there in the mountains where they're going to undertake another man for for treatment.
1: So, it's not over yet. And the war is not over yet either. She hopes that some political solution can be reached, but those hopes are dwindling, she admits. With so much
3: blood spilled and people killed,
1: it will never be the same again. Chris says her release shouldn't be taken as a sign that the end of the war is nigh.
2: I don't think that the end of the war is coming anytime soon, but I'm not the future storyteller in that sense. And in all fairness, back in February 23rd, many of us n- journalists didn't think that the war of such a scale is going to unfold in the eastern corner of Europe. So how can I tell whether the war is going to come to an end or not? So let us see through the winter. I mean, there are many parties into this uh, into this puzzle. So I mean, fingers crossed for the peace, but, it, it, but a prisoner swap is not a sign of peace yet, in my mind.
1: Whatever happens, Alina says there's not a person who left captivity with her, who's not using sedatives and sleeping pills. And there are many, many people, including her fiancé, even her dog, who are still being held prisoner today. I think we'll
3: never have it like before, when Russians and Ukrainians were, they used to say, one people. The attitude that people have now is different. It won't be forgotten in a year or
1: two. What Russia did
0: here.
1: And that's the take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Chloe Kay Lee, Nagin Oliye, Ashish Mahotra, Alexandra Locke, Ruby Zaman, and me, Hala Mahiyadin. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Our engagement producers are Aya Al and Adam Abugad. Nay Alvarez is our head of audio. We'll be back.